Blog Talk Radio. Take a licking. <laughs> there is someone waiting who will hurry up and rescue you. Just call for Super Chicken. Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer Radio Show, brought to you by Calm Bach Feeds. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, national spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds program, and editor in chief of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and, of course, living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit us online at chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. At Kalmbach Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, Feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H, feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of The Chicken Whisperer. When you need an incubator, think Brency, the incubation specialist. Brency has been a world-leading manufacturer of incubators for over 30 years. Incubators from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity control and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Visit them online at Brency.com. Brency spelled B-R-I-N-S-E-A. That's Brency.com or call... 1-888-667-7009. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and save 10% on their incubators, brooders, egg candlers, and other incubation accessories. When you need an incubator, think Brency. Technology you can trust. Introducing the Bright Tap Chick Feeder, the cleaner feeder that grows with your flock. The Bright Tap feeder is designed with a unique shield that prevents chicks from standing on the feed tray and pooping into their food. The shield keeps the feed clean, so you spend less time cleaning the feeder. And when your chicks grow up and leave the brooder, you can use the Bright Tap feeder outdoors to give your adult chickens scratch, grit, and oyster shells. 
the unique shield also prevents rain from getting into the feed tray and spoiling the food. The bright tap feeder fills easily through a lid in the top. No more spills or wasted feed. To learn more, visit our website, chickenwaterer.com. That's chickenwaterer.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. All righty. Thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. We've got a great show lined up for you today. Uh, we're welcoming back to the show poultry scientist and professor, Dr. Bridget McRae. And today's topic is all about raising waterfowl. We've tried to get the the um, episode here done in the last couple of three weeks. And uh, just being on tour, it was very difficult uh, to get a right time. So, uh, But we are here. We are live. How awesome is that? And actually, we have come across the border back into our home state of Georgia. After over 4,600 miles logged on the odometer since we left the homestead, we're still not back at the homestead, uh, but we have crossed back over into the great state of Georgia, our home state, born and raised, and where we reside. Uh, Earlier this morning, we uh, crossed over the state line coming down from Chattanooga, Tennessee, where we had a wonderful three days, but now we are back after over 4,600 miles. So uh, gotta love it, it's gonna be back home. And uh, even though we did a, a, did a lot of cool things on Caleb's actual birthday, which was the 2nd of June, this Saturday we'll be celebrating his birthday again, really with family and cake and candles and all the fun stuff. So gotta love that. So let's get on with the show, heading over to the switchboard right now. We're gonna bring on live uh, Dr. McCray. Let's give her a big chicken whisperer welcome. <laughs> Hey, Doc, thanks for joining us today. Can you hear me How okay? I can hear you pretty good. No worries. Uh, and I'll, uh, let me see. I'm going to, and folks out there in La La Land, they can um, uh, increase their volume. Uh, sometimes the guest is not quite as loud and doesn't project as uh, like you because I'm now broadcasting in HD. But yes, we can hear you loud and clear to learn all about waterfowl today. So thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks. I'm driving with my students today, and, and so I'm sorry if I drop the call. I'll call right back, and I 
apologize, but I've got you on speakerphone. No, that's perfectly fine. You're sounding loud and clear, and I know that I oftentimes have to broadcast on location all across the country, and when we're doing a live show, um, then some things, sometimes things happen, so uh, that's not a worry. Just call back in if you get dropped. Okay. Well, let me tell you a little bit about what Ann and I've been up to today. I think your okay. listeners are going to find this really interesting. So... Ann Thomas is one of the 4-H members here in Delaware, and I've known her for, I don't know, six or seven years, and uh, been a part of the 4-H Avian Bowl program, which, Andy, you know I love to pieces. And she's got a summer research project working alongside me now that she's graduated high school, and Ann, why don't you tell them what you're doing with your summer research project? Well, I've been researching um, a thing called Love Nest. It's a bedding material that is made entirely of herbs, and we're testing to see if when the chickens eat the herbs, it affects the eggs. Were you able to read that loud and clear, Andy? Absolutely. I'm familiar with the product. They're a sponsor uh, of the Chicken Whisper, and uh, that's really great news. I'll be looking forward to hearing the results. So this week, what we've done is we've gone to each of our participating farms and gotten a dozen eggs from them, and we're going to get the baseline information about those eggs before they eat the love nest. And um, these are folks that, you know, they, they um, you know, they have backyard chickens, and they give the chickens supplements of different types and sorts. Um, some of them are familiar with love nests, some of them aren't, and, you know, they may have given their chickens herbs already, um, but what we do is uh, we, we're going to take their dozen eggs, and Anne, why don't you give them a list of different measurements you've been able to make given those eggs so far? We measure the whole egg um, and break them out, and... Uh, measure the the haul unit way both then oh right we do the roche color for the yolk and then we weigh both the yolk and the albumin we do the shell thickness and the shell weight and then we bake angel food cake and see how much it rises we also use the yolk for mayonnaise to see when it breaks and one of the last tests that she does is a foam stability test and as we found out yesterday, Anne, <laughs> sometimes you can have a really thick eggshell, but the protein quality inside can be just abysmal. Hmm. So how can I get a hold of some of this angel food cake? Well, you're going to have to take a drive right now and up here to Delaware. <laughs> now, let me ask you this. Um, are they... Because they have an array of products, are all the farms using the same product, That whether you're putting in the bedding or the nest box, or using the nibbles, the snacks, or are you using um, the, um, the insect repellent blend? Which, which blend are you using? The laying hen mix. Okay. And the farmers are also measuring how much the chickens consume on a daily basis. So we'll have a good idea of what people should expect 
far as consumption over the course of eight weeks. Interesting. Well, you'll have to keep us up to date on uh, on the results for sure. Well, do you think this is something your listeners would want to hear Anne talk about as part of her summer stint? I think that it will be an absolutely wonderful topic for Anne to come on and uh, tell us about the study, more in depth about the study, how it was uh, conducted, and especially the results. And I'm sure that the folks over at Love Nest would like to, to know the results as well. Fabulous. I think we can accommodate that. Great. So, Andy, the topic that I had given you today was raising waterfowl, correct? That is correct, and my experience uh, over the many, many years of uh, with chickens, my depth of experience with waterfowl was very short-lived. Um, probably over a, a decade ago, uh, I came home with two Peking ducks, and they actually uh, hung out in our backyard for how long were they in our backyard, Jen? No more than about, what, a month? <laughs> We got rid of those suckers so fast. <laughs> She's shaking her head. No, we had them longer than that. But however, however long we had them, that was too long. <laughs> now, why they did just, you uh, choose to Because they made absolute havoc of our backyard. Now, this was not a, the homestead we live at now. This was not a farm. This was uh, an urban uh, an area, urban home, urban backyard. We had two coops. We still had a couple of goats. We had the two dogs. We had the garden, water collection barrels. We had worm composting, uh, compost bin, compost pile. It was wonderful. We had master gardeners coming from all over to look at our backyard. But they, anytime it rained, uh, those bills that they have are so destructive. Those big web feet are so destructive. Whenever it gets rain, if there's any standing water underneath the grass, you can forget it. You can, you know, putting up a kiddie pool for them to go in and hang out with, that's that's one thing. But if you think they're going to stay on that kiddie pool, you are, you are far from, from correct. Because no matter where water is standing, and even under the grass, you can't see it. But there's a there's any yeah. type. Oh my goodness, they are going to destroy your property. At least that was my experience, and I hear that from a lot of people who deal with waterfowl. If you don't have the right setup, which we're I'm sure we're going to talk about today. But like I said, I had no pond. We did the kiddie pool thing, but every single time it rained, they would do mass destruction with their feet and their bills. So you've hit the nail on the head, Andy. <laughs> One of the things that people tend to do is they pick up a couple of baby chicks and maybe a baby duckling or two at Easter, and they have no idea what they are getting themselves into. Chicks are one story. Ducks are an entirely different story. You have to be set up for ducks. And it's not fair to the ducks. It's not fair to the other animals um, that you might have on your property, including your chickens. And, you know, straight up, Andy, we know that waterfowl carry a whole list of diseases that can be transmitted to chickens without ever showing signs or symptoms. And avian influenza is right now at the top of that list. Mm -hmm. So if you're thinking about getting ducks, you need a completely separate facility for ducks away from your chickens. This is true of any species. 
all species should be kept separate from one another for biosecurity reasons. The the probably and the most one of the most one of the most popular questions we hear about that is, can I keep my turkeys with my chickens? And then that, no. that, that I hear I hear that all the time. We've addressed that on the show before with you. Yes. No, no, Andy. The question's usually like, why can't I keep my chickens with my turkeys? <laughs> Correct. <laughs> of disease, and as exemplified by the susceptibility of turkeys these days over that of chickens in some states, it's a real problem. All right, so you got to keep your species separate. Ducks have different requirements for happiness and healthiness than, say, chickens. They need a little more space. They love to make a mess, so water is part of that equation. And it's not so much keeping the water away from the ducks. That's just not a good idea. Ducks are going to want to play with water, and they have a need to bathe and clean themselves on a daily basis using water. It's just more of a water management issue or controlling how the ducks redistribute the water in your pen. Because you can provide water, they just want to redistribute it in a manner that they see fit. And since last I checked, you're a chicken whisperer, not a duck whisperer, <laughs> I still don't have a solution for that. <laughs> So I have I, what, I have a solution. What? <laughs> leave leave the ducks and the brooder at the feed store. <laughs> yeah, ducks really are for more advanced individuals. <laughs> People who have been raising chickens for maybe ten years and have got chicken keeping really under wraps. They are not losing birds to disease or predators anymore. They're consistently getting eggs from their birds, and maybe then they're ready to set up another coop for ducks if they're interested in duck eggs or, or duck meat or even just ducks for, for pretty. And there are some really beautiful breed of ducks out there, and, and the same goes for geese. So when I say raising waterfowl, I'm talking about ducks and geese. Um, I do have to warn folks that geese tend to be larger tend to be louder, and tend to be more aggressive. So they can look pretty out in the field, but sometimes as soon as you step out in the field, you are fair game, and they will come after you. So if, if you have poultry for yourself, great, but if you have grandkids or children that could go out there, geese can knock them down and hurt them, and bite, and it hurts. Another thing for you to consider with waterfowl is um, some of the larger waterfowl breeds, like, say, African, Toulouse, and Emden. They're good meat birds, but, it, but they're big birds. And one wing flap from some of these waterfowl can be strong enough to break a grown man's forearm. These are strong birds. And they have to be respected in how you manage them. And if they're coming after you because you disturbed their nest, 
you might get a few bruises and, you know, got to respect these birds. So one of the things that I want to tell people about is when you're starting your flock, make sure it's got good drainage. So wherever you're setting it on your property, you don't want to set it up so that rainwater flows off the roof into the duck pen or the, or the goose pen because they're going to make a huge mess of it. Redistribute that water away from the birds and then underneath the waterer, you do want a deep waterer so they can actually dip their bill in up to their eyes and nose for daily washing. Underneath that, you're going to want to put down a wire mesh um, uh, stand so that the water collects underneath there and you can go dump it daily. Or you can even put a drain underneath there if you are very clever. And I've seen some people come up with ingenious drains for underneath the watering system. And that way you can control where that water goes. I've even seen one system where underneath the water, um, they had uh, waters that were um, actually trough waters that flowed fresh water in all day long. And at the end, it dripped water out the, the top of the trough and into a grate, and there was a, a, a pipe drain that went out to, um, to their garden. And so all the extra water got washed out into their garden. And so they really got double duty out of that particular watering system. Mm -hmm. So that way you have more control over where that water gets redistributed to. Now, ducks don't have to have a pond. Geese don't have to have a pond either. They need water deep enough for them to wash their face on a daily basis. So they've got to be able to keep their eyes and their nostrils clean. So if you're putting in a, a watering trough, it's got to be a little bit deeper than what you provide for chickens. So turkey waterers are great. And you'll see that the the lip on those or the amount of space in there is just a little bit larger. And the ducks can get in there with their face and kind of do some washing up. And just like you would with chickens, you want that water up at about the height of the bird's back. So they, they shouldn't have to bend over to get to their water. They can stand at their normal height to get their water and don't discount having nipple drinkers for ducks and for geese. They can yep. manipulate those just as well as a chicken, and that's another way for you to control a little bit more water. Uh, however, that doesn't mean that they won't sit there and play with the nipple all day long. <laughs> right, Ann? Right. Yeah. Ann is the proud owner of how many Muscovy ducks? Many? They're a lot. <laughs> so she's well aware of the uh, water distribution capabilities of these birds. <laughs> um, Anne also has chickens, so she's very aware of biosecurity and how you should keep them separate from, from chickens. But, you know, some of these ducks and geese breeds 
if they're light enough, they can fly. Don't forget about that. A lot of people think of those Pekin ducks that you started out with, Andy. Yeah. And no, those aren't flyers. But some of these lighter duck breeds, and even the bantam ducks, <laughs> they can fly very easily. So don't forget about that. You know, your chicken may not fly very well, but some of these ducks have no problem flying. Some of the geese can also fly, like, say, the Egyptian goose, and um, let's see, what else can fly? Um, not, not great migrators, mind you, but some of them can fly enough that they get up and into the trees surrounding your coop. So that may not be where you want them to spend their nights, especially if you have owls nearby. Mm-hmm. Um, we're at our destination, Andy, so I'm, I'm heading in, and we'll be a little no quieter for you. No worries. And um, so some of the feed considerations, um, duck feed is available. You can buy just duck feed or, or waterfowl feed in some cases, but it has a higher protein content than chicken feed. So, chick starter does not cut it for ducks, for ducklings. Um, same with goslings. Same with turkeys. You need about 28% protein. Is that everything? Okay. So, that would be something like a, a game bird starter. Right. And you want non-medicated. There are some medications that really affect goslings and ducklings in a bad way. But they have no effect on turkeys, game birds, or even chickens. Mm-hmm. Hang on, let me get the door. <laughs> All right, I'm going to send Ann in to start her testing, and I'm going to sit down with you, Andy. Um, is it time for commercial break? We can, yeah. If you want to get situated there, I'll go to commercial break. That sounds great. And we will uh, be back with more uh Dr. Bridget McRae, PhD. We're talking about raising waterfowl. And uh, a lot of you may already do this and uh, think that, oh, come on, Andy, go for it. Get, get, get some, uh, get some water. Nope, I'm done. <laughs> even, um, no, even at the homestead. Uh, I can never say never because, you know, when Caleb and Lily, they start growing up, hey, can we get this? Can we get that? But uh, right now the answer is, uh, is no. <laughs> so we'll be back with more uh, Raising Waterfowl with Dr. McRae right after this short break. Stay with us, folks. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfginc.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com. Or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Ware Manufacturing. provide a heat source for your backyard chickens in the winter? In most cases, it's not necessary. 
but if you choose to provide a heat source for your backyard chickens, it's imperative to use a safe and effective heat source, and the only one I recommend is the Sweeter Heater. The Sweeter Heater is a safe, completely sealed, washable, non-breakable, energy-efficient, long-lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business, providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for the beginner or advanced poultry keeper. Stromberg's should be on the top of your list when it comes time to order. Shop online at www.strombergschickens.com or call today at 1-800-720-1134. Remember, that's strombergschickens.com. Love Nest brings the natural goodness of herbs to you in your backyard with handcrafted organic blends for your backyard friends. Packaged in a resealable bag, 100% USDA certified organic, Love Nest blends come ready to sprinkle directly into the nesting R coop bedding and are completely natural and edible. There's Love Nest Chick Mix Blend, a gentle herb blend perfect for young chicks. Love Nest Layer Blend, designed to help support laying and soothe ruffled feathers. And Love Nest Critter Ritter Blend is naturally effective against those unwelcome guests such as lice, moths, and other pests. Ask for Love Nest at your favorite local feed store or visit them online at www.loveluv-nest.com. And try Love Nest Organic Blends for your backyard friends today. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFRadio.com. That's GQFRadio.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Come back. Come back, From our family to yours, feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. 
Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H feeds.com. Or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of The Chicken Whisperer. All righty. Thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. We're talking with poultry scientist and professor Dr. Bridget McRae, Ph.D. from Delaware State University. And we're talking about raising waterfowl, which is not for everybody. So um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> welcome back, uh, Dr. McRae. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Andy. Well, Getting back to the whole feeding and watering thing, you can start baby ducks and baby geese on um, crumbles just like you would baby chicks. But later on, just like you would adult chickens, you can switch them to pellets, and it's not a problem. A lot of times people find that their, their waterfowl move feed in their beaks very readily between the feeder and the water. And to help avoid dirty water you want your your feeders pretty far away from your water as as much as possible so that they're not um, causing water to get splashed into your feeder which can lead to mold and for them not to take their feed and splash around the water making a mucky yucky mess for you to have to clean on a daily basis um, so you can go with a higher percent protein with um, with baby uh, waterfowl but when they're breeder age so you know maybe 15 to 20 weeks of age you can go ahead and start putting them on a breeder diet and most commercial feeds I'm not sure if Kalmbach is one of them or not most commercial feeds have a starter grower and breeder diet for waterfowl so you'll have to check your local feed mill and see if that's something that they can place on order for you um, it's not usually something that people or feed mills tend to carry unless they get a lot of duck or goose business. Um, again, you need to have a diet that accommodates the bird's needs. So if you have a breeder flock, if you've got females that are getting ready in the spring to lay, you want to feed them a diet that's high in calcium and phosphorus. But they only need about 15% protein if they are... Um, if they're going to be a breeder bird. So that's about where you would have it for your laying hen diets too. You need about two and three quarters percent calcium, um, a little bit less for geese. Uh, so the two and three quarters percent calcium is for ducks and for geese it's about two and a quarter percent calcium. Both of them need about 0.6 percent phosphorus. So that keeps the birds um, supplied with enough calcium and phosphorus that they can meet their body's needs and still produce those eggs. And Andy, if you've ever had duck eggs, they can be quite yummy. Some people, that's mm-hmm. all they want to eat are duck eggs. They, they have I know they're taste, very, according to some folks. Very, very popular for baking as well, I hear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you want your baby ducks to and baby geese to find their water quickly. Uh, So you want to dip their beaks in the water just like you would a baby chick as soon as they arrive. And you would brood your baby goslings and ducklings the same way, same temperatures as you would a baby chick. So start them out at 95 degrees Fahrenheit for the first week 
and then drop the temperature five degrees Fahrenheit each week thereafter until they are ready to go outside and are fully feathered and the weather can accommodate them. Keep in mind, you're going to be cleaning the brooder box two or three times as often as you would with chicks. Mm -hmm. And they will very quickly outgrow your brooder box. Um, and you might have to switch them to, like, say, um, uh, uh, an old bathtub um, outside or find a space in the garage for them to really be able to spread themselves out a little bit more. Um, you also want to keep your, your very young waterfowl dry. Um, it's cute as all get out to take baby ducklings and put them in just a a small bowl of water and, and they, they first they're going to be terrified. Why am I in water? And then they're going to go, Hey, I'm in water. And you know, they're going to start shooting around and, and, you know, kicking up their heels. And some of them will even start scooting around underneath the water and popping back up, but don't let them get chilled. You can't walk away and leave them in a bowl of water or even a bucket of water. That's very shallow. Um, because pretty soon they're going to become submarines. And they the, those down feathers get very waterlogged quickly. So you're only going to have about 10 minutes of fun before you need to take each one out and dry them off with a towel and put them back underneath their light. But every day you can put them in a little bit of water so that they can shoot around and, and give you a little chuckle here and there. But even within a two weeks' time, you're going to see that they get very big, very fast, and your bowl of water is going to be insufficient very quickly. Another thing to share with your listeners, Andy, is that ducks are easier to sex than geese. Male ducks usually have drake feathers, which curl on the top of their tails. Um, so that's easy to tell the males from the females if the two of them are in the same color, like, say, Cayugas or white pecans. Other times, you can tell the males from the females as their feathers start to emerge. They have two different sets of colors. Sometimes you have to wait to hear the difference. Their voice sounds different. Males, male ducks have kind of a, a low, raspy quack, quack, quack. Whereas females, they have a high-pitched call that's very quickly repeated. So they go, wait, 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 wait. Those are female ducks. However, it's not as easy with geese. Usually, you have to um, vent sex geese. So you turn the bird on its back. Usually you're sitting on a, sitting down in a chair or you can use a tabletop. You set the bird's back on, the, on your knee or on the tabletop and put his tail over the edge. And then, you know, as you're being bitten, because the bird doesn't like this, you place your hands on either side of the vent and then gently push against the sides of the vent with your thumbs while your fingers press the tail back. And by Applying a little bit of pressure directly below and on the sides of the vent, you can invert or expose um, any extremities if they should be in there. See, male uh, drakes and um, uh, the male goose 
um, they are they actually have penises, and so you'll see that those those will become visible when you do the vent sexing. And that's an adaptation for breeding on water so that they can actually deliver the semen to the female bird. And, you know, it's, it's difficult for somebody who starts, but, you know, if, if you happen to see that, um, some people have seen this in birds at the, at the park. They can actually see the birds chasing one another around, and they've actually seen the male organ on the geese or even the ducks. But um, that's one way to, to indicate that's not the easiest way, but if you can find somebody who has geese who's done this before and they can actually show you this step, that should make your, your examination of your birds a little bit easier. And then you can decide whether you need to separate them out or if you're going to keep them for breeding or what, whatever, whatever reason you've decided to have your waterfowl for. Now, another thing I want to make very clear is floor space. Ducks and geese need a lot more room to grow than, say, chickens. Albeit, some of these duck breeds can get quite small, say, East Indies and uh, call ducks. Some of them are as small as some bantam breed, chicken breeds. But you want about half a square foot per bird during the first two weeks and then double the amount of space that you give those birds every two weeks until you get about four square feet per duck and six square feet per goose. And then if you're going to place them outside, which is a risk, but some people uh, might have movable pens or they might have a space that's just for the geese that's away from the rest of their chicken Mm -hmm. flock or turkey flock, um, you want to make sure that they have enough space outside. And, you know, you need to give a lot of space for these, these birds, and you might have to do, whew, like, say, 40 square feet per bird outside because geese, especially, their digestive tract is designed for eating grass. And that's what they do. They will keep things mowed. It doesn't mean that they won't stop at your garden, so make sure there's a fence. (laughs) Um, But you're going to need enough space for these birds when they are outside and and on range, if that's what you're planning to do with these birds. And like I said, some of these birds fly. You might have to do some flight prevention measures. You might have to trim one wing, either on the left side or the right side, so that they can't achieve balanced flight. Um, So you'll have to repeat that after they've molted or else they're going to go ahead and take flight. For incubating eggs, you can either let the mother duck or the mother goose go ahead and sit on eggs or you can incubate them yourself. Most ducks and most geese Well, most ducks are about 28 days of incubation, so that's a week longer than baby chicks. And Muscovy ducks, they incubate for 35 days. Geese are a little bit longer. Um, Most of the goose breeds, they're about 30 days, but Egyptian geese and Canada geese are actually sitting on eggs for 35 days. And I think, at least around here, Andy, people are beginning Mm -hmm. to see 
the product of that incubation process, there's a lot of little goslings wandering around outside now. <laughs> the, la the last few RV stops we, we made and stayed at, the RV resorts there were lakes, and uh, you're exactly right. We uh, um, there, there were a lot of them, and, and we saw, it was kind of sad, but we saw like, uh, and, and apparently I guess it's the mom and, and dad that, you know, anyway, so there, there were some that had like, 12 and then there were some that had you know six or seven and the last uh, one of the last stops we had there was there was just one there were, there were the, the two adults and their one little uh uh gooseling and um that that would that was it but uh caleb and lily learned really fast uh in fact come here caleb tell me something tell tell all our listeners come here for a minute come on climb one up right there okay talking to the microphone and i want you to tell everybody what happens when the mama and daddy goose get really mad at you from trying to get close to their little babies. What do they do? <laughs> what do they do? <laughs> and they hiss like what? Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Yep. They will hiss at you, <laughs> won't they? <laughs> so yeah, okay. We really learned pretty quick that when they go, Oh, cute little babies. And they run over there and all of a sudden they start, they start making their necks go up and down, up and down, up and down. And they start hissing at you, don't they? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Wasn't it? We learned something else in homeschool, <laughs> but yes, all, all, we, we noticed that tis the season. That's, that's, about the only warning you get sometimes and those birds can't fly <laughs> so hopefully they didn't knock them down or anything oh no we 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 stayed we got close enough to hear him hiss but that that was about it <laughs> so if you are looking to breed your birds you're going to start giving them light sometime in february and then <clears throat> they'll start to lay eggs um, about three or four weeks after that and then sit on those eggs after a period of breeding. And so it's a, it's a process that's a little bit longer than chickens. Um, takes about two months or so for them to really get into the, to the, the point where they are with baby goslings or, or baby ducklings. And if you're going to have your birds outside, you know, you do want to provide um, your breeder birds grit. Um, you can also give them the same thing you would baby or give them chickens, uh, limestone or oyster shell, especially if you see that your birds are getting older and maybe shell thickness is an issue. Um, other things, uh, you want a bigger nest available and you can provide the nest that your birds use. They do like to have, um, oh, a little quiet, secluded place that's about, well, for ducks, you want partitions that are about 12 to 14 inches apart, about 12 inches um, deep, and put a little board on the front, like a two-inch board, so you get a deep nest in there. Um, you should be going larger for geese. So if you have, like, say, an emden goose, you're going to give that bird a good two-foot nest for them, two-foot or um, two-by-two-square-foot nest, because those are much bigger birds for them to comfortably move around in there. And just like you would uh, with your chickens, you want to make sure that uh, – 
uh, if they let you, that you see how many uh, eggs are in the nest and make sure that there's nothing making off with the, the eggs because that will stress your bird out. And if you want that goose to hatch those eggs instead of you investing in an incubator, um, goose eggs are quite the delicacy for a fox, and they have no qualms about killing the mother just so they can get to those eggs. And nobody wants that kind of situation. But uh, one thing that we're finding out very quickly, Andy, what we've done around here is some of the some of the small flock owners have allowed us to put out game cameras on their farms, and they are shocked to find out how quickly. As soon as they get their chickens, how quickly they are visited by predators. And, you know, yeah, geese can be mean, and some of these ducks are, can be quite large, but that's not going to deter a fox or a coyote or well, well, even the neighbor's dog. What are you talking about? You, you must be mistaken, Dr. McCray, because according to all of the um, uh, city councils and county commissioners, there are no predators anywhere in their cities and counties until you get chickens. So, so you, and, and once you get chickens, then all the predator, <laughs> predators so come from all, <laughs> predators come from all over the world, right to their county, just because one person got chickens in their backyard. So, so you've got to be a mistake. There's no predators out there until you get chickens. <laughs> <laughs> so Andy, According you're saying to, I should continue this project and kind of <laughs> dispel that myth? A <laughs> great day. Oh me. It's kind of like, oh, if we allow chickens into our into our suburbs, then all of a sudden we're going to have a rodent and rat problem because chickens are attacked. Oh, oh really? Well, maybe the next meeting you need to go ahead and ban wild bird feed and potted plants. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. But um that uh, yeah, that when you said that, I just uh, the first thing that came to my mind. Predators. There's no predators. <laughs> 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 yeah, a lot of people discount the presence of raccoons because mm -hmm. sometimes you know, they don't necessarily come close enough to the house for you to see them or for them to leave prints, but they've, they've checked it out. They've got their routes and their routines, and they have good sense of smell and good hearing. Okay, so let's talk about handling these birds. Some of these birds can get quite large. Small ducks light colored geese or light geese, light waterfowl. Um, occasionally you can take those birds and they can be carried for short distances by grasping the wings near the body. But that doesn't cut it for the larger ducks, the heavier the heavier ducks and, and the geese. And this is a little bit of a balancing act and I've seen it go horribly wrong and laughed at the same time. Um, and then I go help the person, but <laughs> it is, it is to see kids negotiate. I'm going to carry this goose to the car after the show. And of course the goose is like, no way kid. But what they'll do is, is they'll pick the goose up just like you would a chicken. So they, they've grasped the legs, but they forget that the goose can bite them or remove their hat or do damage to their ears. So, you know, there's usually some sort of negotiation process between the child and the goose. And that's usually where a parent comes along and gently grasps the goose behind the head and walks with the child out to the car or wherever they're transporting this goose to. <laughs> and the, 
best way is to grasp those two legs and tuck the bird's head underneath your arm so it's looking behind you as you've got the legs and um, hopefully the bird will be so stunned that it doesn't turn around and bite you but wear long sleeves in case it does it's worst when they bite your ear when they find that sweet spot then they learn quickly to to go after it when you're carrying them around mm-hmm. so that's mm-hmm. how you would handle ducks and geese to keep them um, under control and, and transport them quickly you can over short distances walk geese um, you know they they can be herded uh, usually they get very excited in the beginning and they they like to run and flap but you just need to keep up with them and and then they'll slow down to a walk and they'll usually walk with you wherever you're trying to redirect them to okay let's talk a little bit about um, problems that can occur when you raise waterfowl occasionally because of their size if you have big birds Um, you can get weak legs and weak thighs, and you can end up with lameness. So if you don't handle them properly, if um, you've you've got sudden movement near the flock and, and like, say you've got a dog that chases them, and, you know, they they can go lame. And so you just got to be careful around their feet and legs so when you're handling them, you don't cause an issue with lameness. Uh, baby waterfowl, they're cute, they're unsteady, they are, when they're newly hatched, they have weak legs, uh, especially during the first week. So don't put the baby waterfowl or baby ducklings on slippery surfaces. Um, I don't like newspaper, I don't like magazine paper. Um, put them on a cloth that's nubby, like an old kitchen towel or a piece of burlap. Shavings work well. But you've got to keep those shavings changed, and you don't want spraddle legs. And sometimes you can correct spraddle legs, sometimes you can't. And in our book, Andy, you do a good job of some photographs on that. Um, Great. In adult, I'm sorry, go ahead. That's a good, good deal, good deal. In adult birds, the biggest problem for lameness is bumblefoot. Bumblefoot can happen in waterfowl as well. So you need to to catch the bird and see if bumblefoot's an issue. And um, very hard-packed surfaces, dry surfaces, like um, hard-packed concrete, sometimes new gravel, they have, uh, that's just a little too rough on the bird's feet. And once, you know, their foot pad gets a crack in it, you know, they can get a a little bit of a pus-filled callus in there. Um, So you want to keep them on deep fluffy, dry, clean litter, um, or you can keep them in grassy areas. So that's, you know, something to consider. And uh, try to avoid parts of the pen or repair parts of the pen where they they can, you know, come in contact with thorns or slivers or sharp points or wire or anything like that. Okay. Something called blowouts can happen to waterfowl as well, and that's when young female birds prolapse their oviduct. Um, Sometimes overweight breeding females can also have blowouts. Um, 
early in their production. So, you know, just like you would a chicken, you would gently wash the area and push the tissue back in um, and hope, you know, tends to be that birds that have blowouts, they f tend to have reoccurrences. So that might be a bird that you don't want to keep in your flock. You certainly would not want to breed from it in case it's a genetic issue. Twisted wing can happen. Sometimes it's called angel wing in birds. And that's when you've got primary feathers on one wing or sometimes it's both wings, they start to grow away from the bird's body. And it's caused when you've got rapid growth and development of the primary feather causes the wings to be a little too heavy. And they can't quite support them. And you know, twisted wing really only occurs in domestic waterfowl. So what you'll do is you'll decrease the protein content of the feed and feed more of the fibrous greens that tends to be in the, the bird's diets naturally. And That'll help with the problem, but it could also be an inherited trait. So, <clears throat> that again, that's a bird you would not want to keep for breeding stock. Um, if you catch it early, sometimes, sometimes it can be corrected. Um, you might be able to align the feathers and tape them into normal position. And then after three or four days, you release the feathers and repeat the treatment if it's necessary to try to help them align. Um, one of the only waterfowl breeders with which I've had experience who actively breeds against um, twisted wing or angel wing is, um, is Metzer Farms out in California. He's very conscientious about that. Something else I wanted to share with your listeners, Andy, are, are some of the the diseases and parasites that can affect birds. And, you know, we've talked about many of the organisms that can affect chickens and occasionally hear me say it affects all bird species or it can also affect waterfowl. So a lot of the bacteria fall into those categories. And sometimes some of the same external parasites fall into those categories like lice and mites. Um, so you do actually have to check your birds with waterfowl, um, you tend to get shaft lice along the shaft of the wing feathers. And really, sometimes the only way you can see that is and on dark feathered wings. It's really hard. You have to lift that wing up uh, so that it's uh, between you and the sun. And sometimes you can see those teeny tiny little lice there. Um, up against the, the brightness of the sun behind the wing feathers. Um, and you you do not want your waterfowl to come in contact with wild waterfowl. So keep them away so that hopefully you'll start with a healthy flock and you'll maintain a healthy flock. So things to keep an eye, eye out for are um, weak movement, listless movement, loss of appetite, ruffled feathers, sudden mortality, birds that don't want to move. Um, sometimes if you don't allow your birds access to water that's deep enough for them to submerge their heads, you can get matted eyes. Um, and then you have to come in and just kind of flush out their eyes um, and, you know, change their water so that they can get in there and keep their eyes and nose clean. Provide them with fresh, clean water, 
once you've got the new water in there. Um, keep in mind, these aren't chickens. They Some of these bigger birds can eat bigger things, things that your chickens would um, gloss right over. A duck or a goose may be able to consume. So um, pieces of glass or wire, um, nails, objects that, you know, could cause the birds harm if they ate it, you know. Um, they can sometimes cause internal bleeding. They may not be able to breathe if they eat an pro- uh, object that's too big. So clean your area where you're going to keep these birds and remove any objects that they may possibly eat so that you don't get a vet bill. Most state diagnostic labs, if they take chickens, they also take waterfowl, and it's usually the same amount. So um, keep that in mind. So if you have a bird that suddenly is dead one day and you want to know why because you paid $50 for that bird or you were using that bird, you had your hopes pinned on it for being your your breeder male and you want to know why it died, take it to your diagnostic lab. That's a resource for you. Another thing to consider is you can also show waterfowl. They're also in the standard of perfection. And there's lots of beautiful breeds out there to consider. But your number one egg-producing duck breed tends to be the Khaki Campbell, followed by the Indian Runner, which usually surprises people because the Indian Runner looks so funny. It stands up right, kind of like a bottle. And they are fairly good egg layers. Um, Your meat breeds tends to be your heavier duck breeds. So the Islesbury, the Pekin, the Rowan, even the Muscovy. And so don't don't discount those birds. Um, I would say you're you're probably your largest meat bird, and it it surprisingly looks a a lot like a Pekin. Is the Islesbury. That's spelled A-Y-L-E-S-B-U-R-Y. And for your your meat geese breeds, the biggest one tends to be the Emden. Another one that people sometimes use are the African or the Pilgrim. But for egg production, it tends to be one of the lighter goose breeds that people tend turn to, and that's the Chinese goose. Um, Unfortunately, in my youth, I had a pair of them, and they tend to be noisy as all get out and kind of grumpy. So it's not usually the breed that I recommend to folks as a starter breed. I usually suggest something in the the medium class size, so like say a Pilgrim, an American Buff, maybe even a Saddleback Pomeranian. Um, Just a heads up, another breed that I find to be very noisy is a Sebastopol. They have the feathers that curl backwards. Oh, dear. Andy, you have experience with that breed? (laughs) It shows, yes. (laughs) What is that racket? (laughs) Yeah. And um, just just keep in mind that uh, some of these breeds tend to be a little noisier than others. Egyptians tend to be very shy, um, and they hiss a lot all the time um although they look very interesting and they still can be found in the wild um 
even in Egypt, but they, they come from Africa. So those are some tidbits of information I wanted to share with your listeners, Andy, about raising waterfowl. And like I said, it's not for beginners, the, especially with the problems that we're having with avian influenza right now. If, if you're considering keeping waterfowl at all, you need to have it set up so your biosecurity is truly excellent so that you don't give uh, your birds an opportunity to become ill by coming in contact with wild birds that may be carrying the avian influenza virus. Now, if you're going to raise these, uh, some waterfowl to eat, is would anything mm-hmm. change as far as raising? Uh, can, can you raise them? Um, and don't, don't, don't send me emails. But could could you raise them, say, if you're going to do it for meat production uh, in cages? Because some people do that. Or, or can we still raise them, you know, the outside, the free range, or can, in their separate pens from the chickens and the turkeys and raise them for meat? That's my first question. Uh, are there different ways you can raise them for meat? And then are... Uh, um, I know we talk about in the summertime, we often do a show about, hey, now's the time to get your turkeys if you want them for Thanksgiving and Christmas. But some of the smaller waterfowl that people may consume is just uh, how many weeks before, and it may differ on breeds, maybe the more popular breeds, how many weeks before they're ready to, because again, you have the heritage breed chickens that may take, you know, 16, 20 weeks. Then you've got the the broilers that could be ready in five weeks. So uh, just kind of wrap up the show. Uh, are there can there be different ways to raise them for uh, meat production, even on small scale, even just for your family? And then two, um, maybe some of the more popular breeds. What are we looking at from the time they hatch to the time they're ready to uh, um, put on the table? Okay, so let's start with ducks to answer your first question, Andy. The Pekin duck, which is not the Peking duck, that's not the correct mm-hmm. pronunciation. It's Pekin, P-E-K-I-N. That breed can be ready if fed commercial feed um, in six weeks. So just like a broiler chicken, they Mm -hmm. grow very quickly. And, of course, if you want to go slower, they'll grow slower. Um, If you want to go to eight weeks, you can. Um, It is a little harder to process these birds because the feathers are much more difficult to remove you do actually have to incorporate a wax dip after the plucker portion to get the, mm-hmm. the tiny little hair-like pin feathers off. And the feathers mm-hmm. are just tougher to remove. You also need a higher scald for them. Okay. Um, so the larger duck breeds would be the ones that I would recommend for meat, like, say, the Rowan, the Pekin, the Islesbury, or the Muscovy. Um, But, you know, there are some other breeds, like, say, the buff, which is a medium-sized bird that can also be used for meat and has been used for meat. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say for the geese, Mm -hmm. your Emden is probably your number one choice for meat production, and they're going to grow about the same amount of time as we've discussed in the past with the the turkeys. So you're looking at maybe, gosh, 20 weeks or so, so half a year. And same with the African or even the pilgrim, but those birds overall are going to be smaller. But it takes a goose a lot longer to grow to full size than, say, some of these duck breeds. 
and refresh my memory because I know that author Christine Heinrich, she's been on the show many years ago talking about uh, we've had her on a couple of times. Uh, Tis the season preparing a goose for the table and she goes into it in detail, but which I'm trying to think is they talk about them being uh, higher in fat or maybe and then there's actually breeds that are because you think about breast legs wings and thighs with chickens that are, are guineas all dark meat Techni- yeah. is that the kind because uh, all, oh, okay. all dark meat so all dark are meat the, are they ge- ducks and geese ducks and and geese okay so we've got verse even though i guess they have breast and wings that you would think okay gotcha so because i knew i remember hearing back from from we've done a thousand and seven episodes so i can't remember at all um which i couldn't <laughs> pinpoint <laughs> i couldn't pinpoint which ones but i knew there were some that were considered all dark meat uh if you're if you um prefer that i guess or if you're looking to make them for uh, um for your dinner table so thanks for clearing that up but that that popped into my head too <laughs> sure cool Oh, hey, great, great information. I know we've been trying to get this out to our listeners for uh, a couple of three, I'm four sorry weeks about now. Last so. week, like I said, I, I just, <laughs> you know, sometimes I get into hey, you the get zone. Busy. Mm-hmm. We all do. That's not a problem. Even, even in fact, I, I think I think I had forgotten one of your episodes. I was on the homestead, and I was I couldn't remember what I was doing, putting up a fence or doing something, planting the garden, plowing. I don't know what I was doing, but I got into the zone. I think one day you were going to call in, and I've completely the host. I for completely got about the the show. So uh, no worries. You know I called what that you. Means, I said, Andy. did I? I know I'm 46. I just turned 46. I'm You're human. Old. Just like the rest of us. <laughs> it's like, oh my God! I call your guy. Do we have a show? I'm on the tractor, I think. Did we have a show today? <laughs> Let me lift up the hair. Oh my goodness! So, uh, hey, thanks for joining us, well, and uh, we'll see you. Listeners, if you have questions and you're left wondering about this, that, or the other thing, you can go either onto my Facebook page or to Andy's mm-hmm. Facebook page and ask your questions because yeah. I understand some of your listeners after listening to you for what. Four or five years now, they may be thinking that it's time for them to try and spread mm-hmm. their wings and try waterfowl. <laughs> no pun intended. Yep, exactly. <laughs> um, and then, and then, if you want to do that, ask Dr. McCray about all the questions, and then get started. And then we'll have you back on the show when you're ready to rehome them. Um, and we'll uh, go down that route. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I know, before we leave, Andy, it. I've got a quick announcement. If you don't mind, please do. Go ahead. I've got a series of workshops that I've put together here in Delaware that's open to everybody um, who's within driving distance, and they're free two-hour-long workshops, eight of them, in June, July, and August. Awesome. So um, we've got June 29th, June 30th, July 13, 14, 16, and August Mm. 4, 7, and 10. And they're free workshops. What we're going to be talking about is all the stuff that the Internet is not telling you. And, Andy, we want your listeners to come (laughs) with two questions that they get off the Internet. And we're also (laughs) going to throw in a little bit of information as to what to expect when avian influenza, if and when it comes to um, our region of the country, what Mm -hmm. small flock owners and backyard flock owners can expect to see happen. 
cool. Um, uh, I love that. And if you if you have anything, links or anything I can post, that would be great. Or email me and I can try to uh, transcribe that, if you will, over into a post so we can get that information out. Free is always good. You're going to get expert uh, information. That's always good. And then I love the fact you're kind of continuing the uh, program we started, Fact Our Chicken Poop dot com and uh and, and exactly scouring the internet blogs and forums and finding statements the to uh blow out of the water but sometimes they may be actually fact the first one that you did for us partly was fact and partially was chicken poopy so uh gotta <laughs> love it yeah so awesome well yeah send me that information i'll be happy to post it and thank you very much for coming on today we do appreciate it we'll see you back here in a couple of weeks Thanks, Andy. Take care. Take care. Thank you. Folks, that was poultry scientist and professor Dr. Bridget McRae, PhD from Delaware State University. We talked about raising waterfowl. So, uh, hey, that's the end of the show for uh, today. Also, end of the show for this week. Join us coming up here Monday with another great episode of Ask the Chicken Doctor with Peter Brown. I hope you all have a wonderful and blessed weekend. God bless everybody. <laughs>